life, I mean truly happy. If I asked you to define what a truly happy life looks like, could you do it? I'm starting the conversation about what it means to be truly happy from within and why things that you think create your happiness from outside of yourself are actually not what creates a truly happy life. So grab your cup of tea, sit back and chat with me. I've missed you. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Happiness Workshop Podcast, where we know that happiness is a workshop. I am very excited to introduce our guest for this evening, but I also want to take a moment to just check in. How are you? Are you doing okay? While we're all very excited here in the U.S. that the clocks have sprung forward and sunset is later in the evening, I often find that people have difficulty transitioning from one season to another. So while we're happy to leave the cold winter behind and look forward to beautiful spring and summer days, how is your mood coming out of winter? Do you get seasonal depression? Are you just feeling meh this time of year? It's so important to check in with yourself and see where you're feeling the lag. Maybe it's time to reach out to friends and get together for a walk after work. You'll be getting some much-needed social interaction, plus the fresh air can be so very grounding. As always, if you find yourself struggling, please reach out to a friend, a family member, or even me. I will be so happy to assist you in finding the right next step that makes sense for you. Sometimes it just takes speaking your problems out loud to make them seem not so big and scary. Ruth Rathblatt is an expert on inclusion and diversity. She is a TEDx and inspirational speaker, best-selling author, and an award-winning former nonprofit leader. She was born with a limb difference and speaks to companies on issues of equity and belonging, the gifts of being unique, and the freedom of of accepting the difference. Ruth was profiled as a CEO in the New York Times corner office and received Goucher College's Excellent in Public Service Award, among other awards, for her outstanding leadership in the nonprofit sector. She has spent her entire career focused on providing opportunities for those who have been underrepresented. She serves as a board member of the Lucky Finn Project. You can connect with Ruth at ruthrathblatt.com. Without further ado, do. Welcome to the workshop, Ruth Rathblatt. Good morning, Ruth, and welcome to the workshop. I'm so happy to have you here finally. I am so excited to be here, and I have been following the work that you're doing, and it's I'm just grateful to, to be part of this. Oh my goodness. That is really, like, I received that in my heart because from what I know about you as a person and what you do, and yeah, it just means a lot. So thank you very much. So I know our first conversation was so good and I don't know about you, but I didn't necessarily want to stop the conversation. And so that's why I've been so excited to have you back here today. With everything I know about you and with all the work that you do and your book, you're a published author. Let's just jump right in because your book is titled Single-Handedly, Learning to Unhide and Embrace Connection. So let's just start with that. Talk to us about how you wrote the book, what it means to you, and why you wrote it. So when we think about single-handedly as a word, right, Pascal, what comes to mind? The idea of doing things on your own, the idea of being strong, getting things done, and it also can connote the idea of being one-handed, and that is what I am. I I was born with a limb difference. And I spent 25 years of my life, so half my life, hiding my hand and trying to do it single-handedly, literally trying to do it single-handedly with one hand and trying to get everything done by myself on my own as this solo person. And what I realized is that you don't have to actually do it single-handedly in life. That's You can't do it single-handedly. You need connection. You need community. And so in writing the book, it's really the journey of hiding something about yourself that holds you back 
and learning to unhide it and embrace the connection that comes with the unhiding. And so that was my book and, or that is my book single-handedly. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people will tell you, and I'm sure your listeners, each of us has a book in us, right? That we want to write something to sit down and, and memorialize something or give our viewpoint. And it's a, it's a journey to write a book. It's cathartic. It's absolutely cathartic and it's clarifying. And that was what single-handedly was to me is this journey of sharing my experience so that someone else who may be hiding something about themselves, because what I found is most of us are hiding something. Hiding is universal. How do we learn to unhide? How do we learn to invite that one person in as a start to unhide with? It's so beautiful because we do all hide things and there's so much shame around the things that we're hiding, whether that shame is deserved or not, you know, it's not like, I think about you in your situation and there, I'm sure you felt shame as a child. You hid that. How is that deserved shame? Right. And I think often the, the shame comes from the voices and the stories that we tell ourselves about the thing that is different about us. Mine happens to be a visible difference, right? And so, no, as a child, what's funny is I was born in the days before sonograms. And so my parents didn't know that I would have a limb difference when I was born. So that was a surprise and a shock. And they were upset in the hospital room. They were super lucky, Pascal, that they had a nurse who came over to comfort them and brought me over and said, you're going to take this little girl home and you're going to treat her like you would any other child. You're going to love her and she's going to do everything. And that's the mentality and mantra that they lived by is she'll do anything. You will do anything, Ruth. And that is really important in my, my upbringing. And what I will add is it also meant that we didn't talk about what was different. And that's important in most of it for most of us, because otherwise, if we don't talk about what's different, we do have those voices and the, that thought pattern where people we've made up a story about what it what's different and how bad it is. And so the rejection that I feared, the judgment I feared, and the story that I told myself about my limb difference became the story rather than allowing for it to be checked. And so from the age of 13 is when I started hiding it. So my childhood, I wasn't hiding it. It was basically going to a new school. And we know Pascal, when a adolescence is tough enough, right? We all want to fit in going to starting something new, going to a new school, starting a new opportunity is hard for all of us as well. Like we want to know, are we going to make friends there? Are we going to be liked? Are we going to fit in? And that's just magnified when you're a teenager. I didn't expect that I would be hiding for 25 years, but when you start, it's almost like a lie. The more that you start to hide something about yourself, it gets harder to undo that hiding, harder to undo that lie. And so that's where the shame came in is it kept, I, I couldn't get out of, I couldn't get out of it. Um, and so while I think that there are, are reasons I wish I had unhid earlier or not even started to hide. I think there are also benefits to hiding and that I've come to understand that also is it's protective. There's a certain level of control and certainty when we hide parts of ourselves. We make it comfortable for others when we hide our parts of ourselves. And I'm not just talking about disability. I'm talking about all the things that we hide, whether it's, I've heard people, Pascal, tell me, they hide their age, they hide their ethnicity, they hide their voice pattern, whether it's through stut a stutter or whether it's through an accent. People hide their religion, they hide their economic status, they hide their political views today, probably more than ever we've seen, because people fear judgment and rejection and a story they've told themselves about it. Yeah, and a story they've told themselves and a story that maybe they've grown up hearing. And so they believe it to be the truth and they can't see a difference because through their lens that they grew up with learning and hearing that story, that's the story they believe. Right. And sometimes there, to your point, sometimes there's evidence to back up that story. 
That's right. That's um, right. So, so here's a question for you about the hiding coming from the perspective of, you know, we always see like in movies and in TV shows and things, um, and maybe, we, you know, some of us have been guilty of it before, but you see someone who's different and your child stares or, you know, your child points and you're like, no, no, don't stare, honey. It's not polite. So with you and your limb difference, what would you like to see happen in a situation like that? You're in the grocery store, a child is staring and a child is now touching their own hand and looking at you. And what would you like to see happen? It has happened. That exact scenario has happened more than a thousand times. Um, and so what I like to see happen, that doesn't happen because you brought it up. The first thing that does happen to your point is a parent immediately rushes in and says, no, no, honey, don't talk about that. Don't stare, stop staring. And so what we've done is two things. One is children are naturally curious. It's the healthy part of them. Often their curiosity more than not comes from a place of kindness in terms of, I just want to know because it looks different than me. I want to understand it. It's curiosity. And so what we do when we rush in and say, oh no, don't, is we stop kids from allowing for curiosity. And so that's the one, the first thing. The second thing is when we rush in as adults, and I, it, I don't fault people because it was done to us, right? So it's a learned behavior. Is that, But the second message that we send to kids is disability is something we don't talk about. Disability is something we don't acknowledge and we, it's, bad, it's a bad thing. And so now we've sent that message to young people that, A, don't be curious and don't talk about disability. Well, disability isn't a bad thing. Disability is actually a universal thing. Um, and it's something that is, you know, I guess there's three things. One is it's the largest minority group out there. Disability can happen at any point of your life. You can be born with it. You can acquire one, or you can take be taking care of somebody with a disability. and those with disabilities are often the ones that think outside the box, the most creative thinkers, those that we val we need to learn how to value their perspectives because that's, that's how, I don't know, I guess it's how the world can operate better. It's the different perspectives because we all come with different perspectives. So how do we value that? So what I'd like to see to answer your question is to embrace the curiosity because what I do when kids that situation and scenario happens is I say, oh, no, no, let them ask. They're being curious. And I want to be able to talk about my disability with them so it doesn't scare them. So it becomes a norm that they can understand. That's the beauty of being able to have conversation and connection is understanding and kindness so that when they see something different again, they can understand it. Often what I say to back to kids when they say, oh, what happened to your hand is I say, this is the way I was born. Each of us has something that's different about us. This is what's different about me. And then I ask, what's different about you? Because each of us has, and it's allowing kids to think about what's different about them and embrace it, not try to fit in. Um, it gives me all the, all the chills. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to be curious when it comes with kindness. The kids who are bullies or the adults who are bullies around disability or difference that's not, that's not healthy. That's not helpful and it's not healthy and it's not supportive. Um, so yeah, it's about allowing for curiosity and kindness. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And I think, you know, in the big picture, most parents who would rush right in and say, no, no, please don't stare are trying to be kind, but yes. the kindness really is the embracing of someone's difference and letting it not be something that we shelter ourselves from. Just embrace the whole thing. You're just like me. Your hand is just not there like mine is right. in the same way. Right. And allowing for conversation though with your, because imagine that teaching moment with a young person afterward to be, to be able to say, what did you think? What did you feel? You know, again, disability isn't something that we have to scare kids with. It's a it's the ability to have conversation around and to understand that we all have things that are different. Mine is just visible. You can see it. I can imagine, you know, that's the hardest part about invisible disabilities or differences is that you can't see them. So what do you do then when you 
run into that um, if you're a child who's been told not to talk about difference. Yeah. And that's beautiful because I think with the state of the mental health in the world right now, especially with kids and teenagers, it is scary. And a lot of what I'm seeing now, the trigger of the mental health or of the hiding is the differences that those are the people in a large number that I have witnessed myself. It's them hiding something about themselves that they don't want other people to see that they feel shame around. They feel different. So they don't fit in. So they feel excluded and they keep to themselves. And then the story in their head just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just so sad. And so I love this idea of embracing the differences, but also like you said, the second part of that conversation with the child would be, you can see my difference. Everyone has a difference. Tell me what's different about you. Share that with me because what brings you together faster than when you have things in common and when you can recognize, hey, it's not just me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where, I mean, I think kids are the best sounding boards for those conversations because they are game for it. And the other pieces they ask, and then they move on. Like this isn't the biggest deal in the world to them. They just want to understand it for a second and move on. Difference is not contagious. It doesn't mean that because I have a limb difference, you're all of a sudden going to get one. Or if you have a mental health difference, disability, that if I tell you about it, you're going to get it. Like that's not, and that's, I think how we politicize difference is thinking that if I, if I expose a child to something that's different, they're going to catch it. That's not reality. Um, It's about having conversation. And I think what you're talking about is also let's layer on to the mental health, what we've all just been through over the past three years. And the population that we need to be most worried about, they say, is late adolescence and early adulthood because young people, the kids, are resilient. They will, in some ways, get through this. And that's what they, the science kind of says, the psychology says. But the late adolescents and college students are still wrestling with this because this was their, this is their development. This is their healthy development time. And so that is who I'm worried about most, especially around mental health. And they say that the number one challenge on college campuses right now is mental health and the ability to connect with others, the ability to build relationships. And what does that look like? We thought they were all going to be okay because they were, were used to them on their phones, but that's, that's not reality. And so I think we need to think about mental health probably now more than ever. I agree. And yes, we are used to them on their phones, but they're also in school interacting while they're on their phones. And while, so they missed such a big part. I have three children who now they're 20, 19 and almost 17. Um, And they did, they missed out on the social connection, the interaction, the, even if they're on their phones or they're listening to their, their AirPods and they've got music in one ear, it's still, you know, just even in moving from class to class, the things that they, the minutia of what they're learning in those moments can't be replicated on a Zoom screen. No, the, the interaction, the human interaction with people. And so we have some work to do ahead of us. And I think to your point, that's why people are hiding too, because we've gotten, there's a certain level of comfort not wanting to show those pieces because we're not sure how to show them. And so that's what this whole unhiding movement and community that I'm building is about is how do you start to share those differences in a safe place? How do you create space as a person for someone else to show you their difference? Because once I show my difference, it literally is like people's shoulders go down and they exhale, Pascal. They start to say, oh, me too. Like I'm not alone in the hiding of part of myself. And, you know, back to bringing that full circle back around to mental health and to this socialization that so many kids have missed out on now, that's it. They feel alone. They feel like it's just them. And being able to energetically 
physically, yes, but energetically hug and embrace those people. It's just, it's what we all need. Absolutely. And I think you brought you bring up such a good point because the message, one of the messages that we tell ourselves when we feel different is that we are the only ones, that we are alone in this, that we're the only ones feeling a certain way. And yet that's not what I found in the research or the writing or the personal life experience and lived experience is that most of us feel different and feel alone. So how do we start to share that out so we can build connection to each other and start to share those things? Um, that's, that's the gift of unhiding. That's the gift of connecting. The other piece is sometimes when when we don't have information about people and what they're going through, we also make up scenarios like, oh, they're not interested in us or they're disconnected from us. They don't really want us around. So we've now not only internalized our own differences and places where we've held shame, but we've also then put them onto others because we don't know what's going on with them. And so we've created this story that when we start to stop to check it out, it actually isn't accurate. Um, and it does, and it keeps us disconnected from each other. And speaking it out loud just once to one safe person really does make all the difference because once you say it out loud, it just puts a kibosh on the shame because you've said it, the person heard it. There was no adverse reaction. You didn't, you know, you weren't harmed by saying it out loud and you feel a relief you know, just in the same relief that when you speak about your difference, someone's shoulders, you know, you physically can see them relax. Being able to unhide and speak your difference allows yourself to relax too. Absolutely. It lessens the shame. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still built up shame because we've told ourselves stories, but you're absolutely right. It lessens it. It takes it down. Yeah. Um, and so that we can start to then think about, I mean, that's, I created a model around the four steps to unhiding because people always say, well, how did you stop hiding? Like you did this for 25 years. What was the impetus to stop? And then how did you do it? Right. And what I realized is I think the first step in this is realizing that you're hiding something about yourself, realizing that you're holding something back and that it's holding you back. And so I had to get to a place where I wasn't connecting in relationships the way that I wanted to be connecting. So the first part is about understanding where have you been hiding? Where have you acknowledging it, saying it out loud, naming it. And then to what we've been talking about is finding that one person that you can tell that piece to. And I actually invited that person into my life to show me how to unhide. Consciously invited them in and, but didn't know what the, the ramifications of it would be that they would teach me to how, to how to actually take my hand, which had been buried so deeply in my pocket, out to look at it, to touch it. And again, we do that with the parts of ourselves we're hiding, whether it's the lack of education background that we have that we think we're supposed to have, whether it's the religion that you know somebody will think is so different. If we say those things and we find someone, to your point, to say it out loud to, it is an exhale. It's a way of allowing for there to be some error in that secret and that hiding and that shame. Then it's about finding community. And I will say this is the best part of social media is there is a community for everyone and everything. And you can find others who have had your shared experience or have had a similar shared experience. And that's what happened to me. I found a group called the Lucky Finn Project. And they were a group of, at that point, 30,000 other people who had limb differences. Pascal, I thought, I grew up thinking I was the, one of the only ones. And I absolutely was convinced that I invented hiding. Didn't do either. There were other people who hid too. So you give yourself way too much credit. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, that's a whole nother episode. Um, <laughs> Yes. And so it's finding that shared community. I mean, that lucky Finn community now is over 70,000 people online. Wow. Like, so it's this idea of, yeah, finding those who have that shared experience. So you understand you're not alone and that you can also then be a role model or a confidant for someone else who may be going through it and learning that path. And then the last piece is starting to share out your story. 
because then what it happens is it becomes a full cycle because when I share out my story now, somebody is sitting in your audience, you're one of your listeners saying, wow, what am I hiding? And how can I go through this four-step process and help someone else? Because that's what it's all about is this loop of how do we start to connect with people and create space for us to bring our best and most valued self forward. Connection is everything. Connection is everything. And the key to connection is unhiding. I am, I am confident of it because when we unhide, we connect with people. I mean, again, I just last week had a situation where I had made up a story in my head about someone else's behavior and kind of lack of connection. And when I found out what that person was going through, it allowed for me to connect with her and realize it wasn't about me. It was about something that they were going through and it allowed us both to connect in such interesting ways. Um, and that's the power of connect, power of unhiding is connection. It'll, and that's what we all want. We need it more than ever. We crave it. We sure do. Even though we also crave to stay in hiding because it does feel safe when you can kind of open the, open the door, pull up the shades and stop hiding. It's like in my mind, I'm just picturing a flower where the sun is coming in, coming out and the flower is just opening up yep. to the sunshine and just how good does it feel just to soak in the sunshine? Absolutely. And I think the other piece to add to it is hiding is a continuum. You know, there's hiding and there's unhiding and it's okay to protect yourself in certain places. We've learned that as, you know, part of our DNA of that it's okay to take care of yourself and protect yourself, but how is it holding you back? That's where I focus on is if it's okay, then we don't need to spill everything about ourselves, but it's the place where it's holding you back from connecting with others, the places it's holding you back from being your best self at work or your best self in a relationship. That's when it's exhausting and it's lonely. Yeah. And some of the greatest stories come from unhiding. Some of the my most favorite videos to see on social media, for example, is the high school boy who has some sort of special need and yet he's on the football team or he's on the basketball team and he makes the the goal or he you know hits the basket there was one recently of a teenager who's on the basketball team but he's blind and I don't know if you've seen this but he's on the foul line he's getting ready to take his foul shot and his paraprofessional his whoever he's with has his white cane and she's tapping on yes, the backboard yes. and that kid takes the shot and makes it and the crowd goes wild. Like that boy had no difference, but to unhide because this is how he navigates the world, but was fully embraced by the community. And that's the beauty of unhiding is we create the story, we grow the shame in our own minds, but if we can unhide, it makes us more relatable and the community can rally around us. Our friends can uplift us. We feel supported and we can then have the same experiences that other people experience, right? Because I bet you when that boy who was blind was born or was five years old, I would imagine that his parents never imagined he'd be on a basketball team, let alone making a foul shot, right? But look what his world opened up to because he was not in hiding. And I'm going to share, I think it's even a step beyond disability because I think sometimes we go to disability as a place for inspiration, but it's actually the other pieces too of our lives where we have felt different that I, where I kind of admire the idea of unhiding, which is, I mean, I talk to people all the time, especially after the book came out about what they're hiding. I had someone share that they were hiding their LGBTQ status at work. Um, in their personal life, they are very comfortable with their, their life choices, right? And their lifestyle and their, who they are and their sexuality. At work, they had built up an image in their head that this was going to be something that people weren't comfortable with. And so they weren't going to the happy hours after work. They weren't bringing their partner to the holiday party. They weren't. And so 
what started to happen is people would say, oh, well, why don't I set you up with so-and-so, you know, you making assumptions about this person and it's exhausting and it's lonely because you have to keep, you have to keep covering up this other part of your life. You almost live in dissected worlds uh, around difference. And the beauty is that person reached out to their manager to share what was going on because they were getting married and they wanted that space. They don't have, they never had a photo of their partner. Everyone else has photos of their kids and their partners on their desk. And this person never felt comfortable doing that. Imagine that, like, that's what I'm talking about a hiding, like that deep part of you're holding something back about yourself and it's implant it's impacting your relationships at work because nobody gets to know you nobody gets to connect with you and you're not really connecting because you're always worried someone's going to find out so you're always forecasting yeah. steps that's where hiding is like is intense and difficult and so they were able yeah. to talk to their manager and say hey here's what's going on like i need you to know why i need the you know a day off and that opened up a whole conversation and it opened up allowing for that person to be connected at work in very different ways. I'm not suggesting that you tell anyone randomly. I'm suggesting the first person that you find, that one person is someone that you trust, whether it's a colleague at work, a manager, an HR manager, or an outside contact to help you think through it. Because we don't know. We, I mean, I was talking to a parent on the phone several months ago when the book was coming out. And she said to me, I don't tell anyone about my child's mental health challenges. And we're all on Zoom. I keep my camera off most of the time and my voice uh, off, muted. So because we know what people think when we have kids with mental health challenges and that we can't, as a parent, I can't control them. So I don't want people to think that I can control my child she told me. And I also go to a lot of medical appointments. I don't want people to think I can't do my job and take care of my child because I'm doing it fine. So we're holding things back, Pascal, that prevent us from connecting. That's the inspiration is when you start to then share out because people get to know you. And then you get to actually live. Then you get to actually live. Absolutely. You get your life back. You get joy again. You get happiness because that's what really living is. And it, it, I mean, yesterday I was in the Central Park, something I would never have done years ago in public. I climbed a tree because I'm like, wait, I can use both hands to climb a tree. And like, I can, who has climbed a tree since they were a kid? I'm like, so it was just great to be able to, again, yeah, start to live and not be so focused on hiding part of myself so that no one, not actually doing the things I loved to do. Yeah. That's what hiding does is it stops you and prevents you from doing the things you want to do. It's so true. True happiness for me is when no matter what's going on in the world all around you, all is well with your soul. It's when you're living in alignment with your true self, right? That center, your true center. And so when you're hiding, you're not living in alignment. Like you gave the example of the person at work who was hiding their sexuality, but then needed to come out to the manager because they were getting married. Well, yeah, that is such a disconnect because you're not living in alignment. And so the constant push and pull of those two worlds had to have been exhausting. And that's not true happiness. No, and it absolutely is exhausting and it's lonely. And I think you're 100% right with the alignment piece, right? Because that's how you live your best self is when you're in alignment. And it's also a way of getting to know that other part of you. Because when you're hiding it yourself, you don't actually get to know that part of you. You don't embrace it. You don't understand its challenges or its gifts, um, in the same breath. So, because you've spent, it is a disconnected self. Um, and that's not the goal of this life. Uh, no, it's not. And when you can unhide, you're also giving the people around you a gift because, yes. and maybe they don't see it that way at first, but what you're giving the other person is your authenticity. Yes. Yes. And the ability to ask questions, like, so that yes. it's not this, um, you know, thing that we can't talk about. It's the idea that we can ask. I mean, 
part of, it's funny when my book came out, one of my friends said, should, it was the first time in 30 years that we could ask you about it. You gave us permission to ask you about it. Something that we had had questions about, but that was off limits because you made that very clear. Like you cannot ask, like, no, I'm not taking questions. You allow for questions and you allow for support. You allow that you don't have to do it all single-handedly. Like that's the point of the book. It's almost a, it's, it's an interesting metaphor that, yeah, you can't do it all single-handedly. You need connection. Yeah. And it's all about giving and receiving, right? Because you are allowing your people in, you're allowing them to step into your world. You're allowing them to ask questions, but you're also allowing them to receive support because by you being strong enough to say, yes, come into my world, see my whole self, whether it be physical, energetic, emotional, whatever the difference is, you're opening that door to say, and I'm here whenever you want to show me your full self. Bingo, bingo. It, I couldn't have said it better. Like that is absolutely what it is. It's the idea of that's how we're, that's what connection looks like because you've now made an, a door opening for others to share themselves um, and modeled for them. And it, it brings a deeper relationship. Um, so no, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it is also something that, my hope and my dream is that we create those spaces so that people can unhide together. Yeah. So much fear would just dissipate into thin air. Yeah. If we can just begin to unhide with each other. Yes. Yes. Um, I, oh my God, you're saying everything that I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's right. Um, but I feel so connected to you in this and there's just so much fear, so much shame, so much, um, hatred and because it's all from misunderstanding and so much energy wasted in terms of the fear and the shame and the hatred, like the differences are what are, what is going to bring us together. Um, because that's the beauty. We all have differences, whether we want to acknowledge them or not, we all have differences the universal is that many of us are hiding those differences because we fear the judgment and the shame and it's exhausting and it's lonely. And so if that's the life we want to live and choose to live to be lonely and exhausted, okay, keep hiding. But if the life that we're looking to live is one of al alignment and of, to your point, authenticity, and I use the word best self, then, then there is a, process and a step that's not so hard to follow. The steps aren't so hard to follow to get to that place. Um, and it really only takes finding one person to start. Yeah. And when you say the steps, like, I love that you're like, and so I created this model, these four steps, when you speak them out loud, it seems like, uh, yeah, that's no big deal. Like I can do that. Right. But it's the anticipation of the starting. And that's what holds us back in so many ways in life. It's the anticipation of starting. Once we take the first step, we're awake, we're up, we're looking around at the world, but it's the anticipation of the first step that holds us back. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting about workplaces today is I think they are quote unquote demanding that we bring our full selves or our authentic selves to work. And yet we haven't set those spaces up for support and kindness. And we also haven't model, had that modeled from leadership. And so it's really, it's another framework that I've created, which is this idea around how do we start with leaders around where are they showing their vulnerability? How are they showing their vulnerability and their, their differences? Because we are still operating very much with an old school mentality of leadership where you're not supposed to show your vulnerability. You're not supposed to show empathy. And yet we want our employees to do that. And we, we're not willing to do so. It's a two-way street. Leaders need to have that to model that. And employees, if that space is created, need to come forward with, with that. Um, no, the workplace is a really interesting kind of social experiment around unhiding because it's we want people to be their best selves at work. And yet, how have we created that space for them to be their best self, to, to unhide and not again, to be, a, it's not a therapy session. It's not a Dr. Phil show. Like that's not what work needs to be, but work needs to be a place where you can 
be yourself. You can connect with your teams and you can bring those innovative ideas that you've been holding back because of the things that you're hiding, that it needs to be a place where we can be innovative. That's how companies succeed. So I work with leaders to do that. I love everything that you just said. And, you know, I work with women around one of the things is creating abundance in their lives and allowing abundance. And the biggest key to allowing abundance is to allow for creativity. And if you are closed off because you're hiding and you're holding on tight to this thing, you've pinched off your creativity. So you have to be open in order to allow this flow to occur. You can't pinch off the flow. And if you want to innovate, if you want to create, you, you know, you have to set up an environment. You have to create the space where all of this is safe and it's okay. You can be different and still be okay. You can be accepted. You can still thrive. Not, I don't even know how I want to say it, not in spite of your difference, but allowing your difference to be the booster on the rocket that just shoots you off into your creativity, your abundance, your, all of it. Absolutely. No. And because, and we, I just took notes because I'm like, I want to say this too, what she just said. I want it like, because you're, you and I are speaking the same language. Two things that you just said that are super important and, and really want to highlight here is when we hide and cut off parts of ourselves, we do a disservice, not only to ourselves, right? Because then we're not really showing up and we're feeling like, oh, someone's going to find out something about us. We're going to be, we're exhausted. But we also do a disservice to our teammates because we're not really giving those innovative ideas. We're not really being ourselves because we're worried. And we're also doing a disservice to the workplace that we're working in because we're not bringing the, all those ideas. So we've, it's a disservice. It's actually a help when you, have when you when you're in alignment with yourself and the other piece is how do we create spaces in the workplace that value different perspectives that value different experiences because that's what it's about that's what unhiding truly is kind of the the mantra is it's about valuing difference it's about valuing different perspectives different experience because that's what energizes innovation is different experience and different perspectives you're such a leader. And I love that this conversation is coming around the workplace because I think it is so important. Um, I've talked many times on this podcast and also just in you know regular life that we're moving from a masculine energy of doing things to a more feminine energy way of doing things. And it is the unhiding, the embracing of differences, the celebration of differences, all of that. So talk a little bit about how you go into the workplace and you bring this to environments and you help workplaces to create this safe space. Sure. And I can preface that question also by saying that I wasn't always a vulnerable and great leader. I, because I was living in hiding and not sharing my story or sharing my different perspective or the value that I brought around different perspectives, I sometimes created spaces where people had to also feel like they had to be perfect or not vulnerable. And so that's, I learned, I have a lived experience around being a leader who needed to learn about unhiding in the workplace as a leader. Because again, I was raised on an old school mentality of you don't show vulnerability, you don't show weakness, you have all the answers. And that's not, that's also equally exhausting and it's equally lonely. Um, and so I start with leaders in the workplace. They People often bring me in around this model I've built out called the Cure to Inclusion. And Pascal, it focuses on, it's an acronym for connection, understanding, representation, and empathy. And I start with understanding because in order to really connect with others, you have to start with an understanding of yourself, an understanding of where you have felt different as a leader, where you have felt different as an employee, but I work mostly with leaders and everyone's really a leader. Um, so I start, the understanding part is really important. Where have you felt different? And what is your understanding of difference? What is, what do you, how do you value difference? And how have you, what are your biases about difference and others who appear different? 
um, in terms of a whole lens of diversity. And then, and only then, can you start to really connect with people because you're willing to share out your differences and be vulnerable. And then the connection piece is how do you, how are we connecting with others in the workplace? The representation piece comes in, and this is very high, high, you know, high vantage point of this. I go much deeper, but the representation piece is so who's on your team? Do an inventory, do an audit of whose voices are represented, whose voices are not at the table, and how are we thinking about diversity in its largest context, meaning we often talk about race and we talk about gender and maybe sexual orientation when we talk about diversity. What about the other lenses of diversity? What about disability, visible and invisible? What about age? What about religion? What about politics? Whose voices are being represented and whose are not? So let's have a fuller, deeper dive into representation. And then the last piece is around empathy. Because how are we able to, because when we've understood ourselves and we feel connected and we've done the work around representation and, and learning about who, how we understand difference, we can then start to have empathy because we can start to listen and we can start to show support. I can tell you as someone with this limb difference, I do want people to ask me, but I want them to ask me out of curiosity and kindness and support. And that's what I think needs to happen in the workplace is creating those spaces where people feel like they can ask questions because it's coming out of a place of kindness and it's coming out of a place of support. We don't need to know everyone's differences unless it's because we want to be able to support them to, to bring their best self to the work. Mm, that's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And as you're talking, I'm also visualizing our schools mm. because like you said, we often talk about diversity in relation to race, sexual orientation, gender. What about all the other pieces? What about the diversity of the kid who goes home from school and has to take care of their parents because maybe they're drug addicts or alcohol alcoholics? Maybe it's a single mother or father who's just doing their darndest to take care of everyone but they have to be at work. And so the child is at home taking care of siblings. And so maybe they're not as clean as they could be. Maybe they come to school hungry. Maybe they, whatever the maybe is, it's finding the inclusion, finding the way to bring them all in, not treat them as outcasts, not point out their differences, but empower them because of their differences. And embrace the differences. Embrace the differences. Are, I mean, I've worked with young people my entire career. And part of the beauty of young people, in addition to their curiosity, is their resiliency, right? And so how do we take that child who may be home taking care of siblings, doing everything at home, navigating the world often in a parentified way, how do we understand that that different experience and realize that's a strength that that child though I still think children should should have a time to be children and be allowed to be playful and curious and kind but that's not reality sometimes for some families and so how do we allow for that to be seen as a strength and let's take that strength how can we tap into it because they are they're a leader right now, by the way, because they're taking care of everything. But how do we build that leadership, those leadership qualities, because they do have the background in that, um, because they have organized families, they have organized um, meals and gone out shopping and done all of the things that. So it's, yeah, it's about understanding difference in a nuanced way that instead of putting it down, it's about embracing it and thinking and seeing the positives in how we, how people are different. Um, there's enough room at the table for all of us to be part of the diversity conversation. And so, and when we silo people because they don't belong in, in the way we've defined it, we've done what we've just said we hate being done, having done to us. So how do we invite people to the conversation? And again, it's not that those three pillars which are, are wrong. It's that, and they're important. Gender, race, and sexual orientation are important work streams around diversity. and so is disability and other differences. Um, yeah. so they need to be part of the conversation because they intersect with all of our lives. 
You just said something that is so important, and it's the word that I want to bring around this entire conversation, and it's the word and, because we live in a very or society, and changing, I think that's where we're headed, is we're headed into an and society, and that's the difference, I think, in the growth that we're seeing now, and the importance in the work that you're doing is navigating us from an or to an and society. That is totally clarifying. Yes, yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, and I think it comes from a background and taking classes of improv where you don't have a choice. There is no, no, and there is no, or it's yes. And, and so if we adopt that mentality and that mindset of yes, and anything is possible. Yes. And <laughs> it's so true. Also, you're at least the third person in the last two weeks that has said the word improv to me. And I'm like, I really feel like I need to go take an improv class. How fun would that be? It is. And it's also mind challenging. It's so good for the growth of the mind, though. It looks, you know, we watch TV programs like Whose Line Is It Anyway or improv things, and it looks really easy until you're in it <laughs> and it stretches you. I did improv and I had a, they do a showcase at the end of an improv class typically. And I had a friend come to attend and they asked for the audience to give ideas. And they said, oh, pick a profession, throw out the name of, of a profession. And she threw out the word farrier. And I thought, Courier, like, oh, you, you know, somebody who makes fur coats. So I was, you know, em embracing that. No, a farrier is someone who puts shoes on a horse and, and that was not, but I didn't have the choice to go back to her and be like, so which one, what are you talking about? I just had to own what she was saying and yes, and it like, okay, I'm going to embrace it. And how do we embrace difference? Like that's the beauty of this. And so, yes, please. I want to hear how your improv class goes that you're going to take. I really need to start researching an improv class. I have a quick aside to share. Because when my son was little, all he wanted to be when he grew up was a farrier. And I was like, what? You want to know what? And he used to, it was the cutest thing. Like he would watch all these farm videos and, you know, he loved the farrier and I would be in the kitchen washing the dishes, whatever. He would come with his tool belt on, you know, like the little plastic screwdrivers and hammers and stuff. And he'd pick up my foot like I was a horse and he's a farrier and like he's working on my foot like it's a horse hoof. And that's how I would do the dishes is he would be a farrier and he'd be working on my foot. It was the cutest thing. And you just brought back that sweetest memory. So thank you. No, definitely reach out to him and let him know. But that what are the chances that is random that I would bring up that story and you would first of all, know the word because most people don't, they're like, right. and have a story for it. Story for it. Um, so no, it's, uh, it's a beautiful, it's a, a beautiful language improv to, to speak. It's yeah. a gift. Yeah. Okay. I think that is the next push for the school systems is we need to bring in improv. Yeah. And there's some really great nonprofits that do work in that space. I think though, getting back to you, if three people told me something, because we often do, right? We get messages from random people, explore it. It's the universe telling you. Absolutely. That. Absolutely. If you continue to receive the, the same message over and over, the universe is saying, hello, hello. this is going to help you. No. And we don't always know why, but the universe gives us what we need when we need it. A hundred percent. That's my woo side that I, I believe in the universe. Oh, embrace the woo sister, embrace the woo. And also if the universe continues to send you the same lesson over and over with, in the form of a challenge, in the form of a quote unquote problem, the universe is saying, this is the lesson you need to learn. And until you embrace the lesson, learn the lesson and move beyond learning the thing, you're going to continue to receive the same challenges. So you can try to learn the lesson until you do. Absolutely. And I think the, to add on to that too, I think that the universe shares with you and you always think, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. Oh, that's, you know, that's random. It's not random. It's what you're supposed to be giving. And as you get what I have found true, and I'm curious if you have is 
it's almost like that game we played as children of hot and cold. It's when you're going down the right path, the universe shows up more and more. It's you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. And when you are choosing the wrong path or the path that you're not supposed to be on, things all of a sudden go cold. And those signs aren't coming in the same way. They, you know, whereas when you're getting warmer, they show up. It's really an amazing, beautiful thing. Yeah, I try. No, I, my last line in the book is thanking the universe for this. I love that. And you are a hundred percent spot on. I've never thought of it in terms of you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, but it's so very true. And it brings us back full circle to the idea of inclusivity and embracing diversity and all of that, because how do you feel when you're embraced or when you're able to embrace someone else? That's the feeling. It's warmth, it's connection, it's love. It's, and that's the universe saying, yes, this is the answer. And you don't have to do it single-handedly. Like you don't have to do it alone because you have the universe and you have connection around you. That's the beauty of this whole life is figuring that out. So, Mm. so beautiful. I think we've reached a perfect kind of, we've brought it full circle. It's such a beautiful conversation as I knew that it would be. Um, We didn't even get to talk about your TEDx. We didn't talk about so many things. So you definitely have to come back again. You're just such a beautiful, a beautiful energy to you know, I feel just wrapped up in this whole conversation. So thank you for that. And thank you for the light that you're shining on all of my listeners and the world with the work that you do and the person that you are. Thank you. No, and thank you for the connection to you, because I think you bring that out in people. And I've heard your podcast before and your, the work that you do through your newsletters, like that's what you're aiming for is that idea of connection. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to amplify on hiding because I do think it's what hiding is what holds us back. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just run into the light together. Yeah. Let's connect. Let's do it. So um, your book, where can people find it? Because people are going to want to find it. Called single-handedly. And it looks like this for those who are watching single-handedly it's on Amazon. It's on uh, barnesandnoble.com, walmart.com, anywhere you can buy a book. It's the print copy is available as is the audible copy. So I did my audio book for people who want to be able to listen. And then also it's available on Kindle. So it's available in all forms. Um, you can also go to my website to find out where it is, which is ruthrathblot.com. I spend a lot of time, Pascal, on LinkedIn, also having conversation about unhiding and the ideas of places where people are hiding. I mean, I just watched a program yesterday on CBS Sunday Morning, and there was a man who was talking about how he hid his religion and how it kept him from really exploring his passion. So I talk a lot about unhiding, especially on LinkedIn. Such an important conversation. Thank you so much for bringing it to the happiness workshop. And I can't wait for our next conversation. Neither, neither. And thank you for highlighting the TEDx too. Thank you. So many things to still talk about. So I can't even wait to bring you back. Thanks, Pascal. Oh my goodness. What an amazing guest here in the workshop. What was your biggest takeaway from that conversation? For me, it was that we are all hiding something or several somethings in our lives, and we're allowing the hiding to steal away our happiness. Where can you shine a light on the places you might be hiding and the things you might be hiding in your life? How might you show up differently with more completeness to allow yourself more joy in life? Like I always say, the first step is to just notice. Keep moving forward on your path toward happiness and always remember to go within. Good night. Thank you for being part of the Women Finding Clarity community and for making the Happiness Workshop podcast part of your week. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite listening platform and share the Happiness Workshop podcast with a friend. These are simple ways to help us get our show in the ears and on the minds of more listeners. 
We know that happiness is a workshop, so find more tools to guide you forward on your path to happiness at www.womenfindingclarity.com. A reminder to keep moving forward on your path to happiness and always remember to go within.